Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Father, this morning, you are worthy. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. You've given us your life. It is in you that we live and move and have our being. God, we're grateful that you've given us your life. God, our bodies are, are merely a shadow. They're only the tent in which we live. God, I thank you that your life will overcome death. We will never die. Our bodies will perish, but we will never die. Because we know you, we are your children. We have received your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. We walk in your love, and we are grateful we honor you this morning. Father, we don't deserve your mercy, but we are grateful for it. We thank you for your grace that enables us to live in you, to live a life of an overcoming victor, to reign in life by the spirit who lives in us. God, as we come to you this morning to go into your word, God, I ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come and teach us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Lord, we don't want to be taught by man. We want to be taught by you. Spirit of God, you indwell us. If we're your children, you come to live in us, to be our teacher. So, God, we ask you to do that this morning. Open your word to us. Help us to see the things that you want to reveal to us. We ask for the spirit of wisdom. God, I'm very much aware that I cannot communicate the things that are on your heart adequately, apart from your spirit. So I ask, Father, that you would come and you would teach in spite of me Teach through me if you can. God, whatever you want to do this morning, we want to yield our lives to you. We want to give ourselves to you. So come and have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Glory to God. I have tried to 
have the verses that I'm going to refer to this morning available for you to look at. So um, we'll try to, to get through those. Unless the Lord leads a different direction, whatever he wants to do this morning. Wow. You know, I'm looking forward to the day when the glory fills the house. And we can't stand up here and speak because God's here. And he wants the attention. He wants to be worshipped and adored. He wants us to interact with him. And he wants to come and touch our lives. Thank you, sir. Glory. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26... This part of the verse, God is speaking and he says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So it's clear from that, that God is not one person. The theologians will tell us that he is three persons who are eternal, uncreated, And what I want you to see this morning is that those three persons have lived in relationship, in fellowship with each other, in unity with each other since time, well, before time began, because God is eternal and he's outside of time. God has revealed himself to us in Scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We relate to them as a gift of God's grace. We are brought into relationship with the living God. But God also wants us to have relationship with each other. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, again, God is speaking and he says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Why isn't it good that man should be alone? Well, you probably know that loneliness is an epidemic. How many people do we have in this country? How many people live in this town? Over 60,000, I believe. But we're lonely. Many of us. Many people you see are lonely. It's not because they don't know people. There are many superficial acquaintances. They could list the names of dozens of people that they know, maybe hundreds. But they don't have a connection with those people. They don't interact with those people. And therefore, functionally, they're alone. And many of them are lonely. Loneliness often leads to depression. And sadly, sometimes that leads to suicide. So it is not good that man should be alone. 
It's clear to me that God wants us to be in relationship with him because he wants to meet many of our needs, our emotional needs, our psychological needs, if you will, our human needs. He wants to touch our bodies and heal our physical bodies. He wants to bring wholeness to our soul. But he also wants us in relationship with each other. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you look at Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him. That goes on to say that, they, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. But the first thing he mentions is that they might be with him. Jesus chose these 12 guys to have relationship with him. And beyond that, by choosing these 12 and having them hang out with him all the time, he created a situation in which they had to have relationship with each other. You might say Jesus started the first small group. While I'm on that subject, that wasn't really where I was going to go this morning, but let me just mention this. A problem many of the small groups in our churches have is that we become inwardly focused on my needs and your needs, and we forget the world around us. When that happens, like a body of water that has all inlets and no outlets, it becomes stagnant. It actually becomes sick. But you know what? That wasn't what Jesus did, is it? He called these 12 guys to hang out with him. But what were they doing together? They were going out and preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 3,000. They went to a wedding together where Jesus made wine. So, Jesus takes these guys along with him and invites them into relationship with him and with each other. But their focus is not on each other. Their focus is on the mission that Jesus came to accomplish. In John chapter 17, thank you. Uh, John chapter 17 Jesus prayed about the unity of those who would follow him. He prayed, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus is praying that we will be one with the Father and with him to come into their unity and that we will be one with each other. And he says that when that happens, the world will know. I mean, it isn't amazing when you see people that are really united. Even take marriage, for example. How many marriages do you know that are really healthy? Were they really one? They lay down their lives for each other. They care about each other. They have a common purpose and goal. There's no fighting. There's no bickering. There's no garbage. Because they're one. Which is the intent that Jesus called us into marriage for. That we might learn to be one with our spouse. But that needs to go beyond marriage. Jesus wants that to happen in his church among us. That we would be one. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we've been called into fellowship. Do you, do you know what that word means? Is that something that, I mean, you don't hear that word every day, right? You don't go to work and hear the word fellowship. It means to share in common. What we share is the life of God. And God has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. That is our primary calling. Anything else, if we're called to be a pastor, we think of, or a missionary, or a nurse, or whatever it is that God may have called us to, that's secondary. God primarily has called us into relationship with himself and into fellowship with himself. And when that is right, everything else will be right. If that's not right, it doesn't really matter what you're called to because you will not fulfill the calling of God on your life unless you're following that first calling. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, the Apostle John speaks about fellowship. And he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I just want to comment on that for just a moment. I've read that verse, and I have been condemned so many times. Do you guys, ever, do you guys always walk in light? I don't. You know, 
First um, John 1, 8, I believe it is. I don't have it on my notes here, but it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, one thing about this is, God himself is light, it says in James 1.17. We can't walk in darkness and be in fellowship with him. That just doesn't work. Okay? So don't let the devil beat you up. He's just making a factual statement. If you're not walking in the light, and he wants to give us the light, amen? He is the light of the world. He's given us himself. He wants us to, to receive his light and walk in him. But if we don't walk in him, if we don't walk in the spirit, and rather we choose to walk in the flesh, we can't say that we're in fellowship with him because we're not sharing in common his nature, his life, his light. Okay, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank God, amen? That's what we celebrate every Sunday, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Glory. Okay, so God wants us in relationship with him. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, we learn something about God's knowledge of us. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, I can't remember for sure who was speaking. It seems like it was David speaking to Solomon. I don't remember for sure. But anyway, the, the verse says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. So he not only knows our thoughts, he knows our motives. He knows why we do what we do. You know, sometimes you can do something that looks so good, but if you're doing it with the wrong motive, it doesn't glorify God. You know, <clears throat> the motive oftentimes is to bring glory to me, right? I want, I want to look good in, in your eyes. I'm not as concerned about what God thinks. Anybody have struggles with that sometimes? Okay. So God knows everything about us. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. And yet he loves us.
That amazes me. God loves me. So you guys don't know me the way I know me. You don't know my thoughts. You don't know the motives of my heart. You don't know how sinful a man I am. Okay? Yes, I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. I am sanctified by the Spirit of God. When Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me washed in the blood of his Son. I am accepted in the Beloved. I have no need to fear to be afraid of God because of what Jesus has done for me. That just blows me away. I'll turn to Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. And we're going to read about God's love for us. Where Paul says in verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. He loved us before we came to him. He loved us when we were his enemies. He proved that love by dying on the cross in our place. He loved us so much that he wanted us to be reconciled to himself, and he made it possible for that to happen. He made the way for that to happen. He is the way. But he also loves us enough that he doesn't want us to stay the way we were because he has something better for us than that. If you look at verse 17 of Romans 5, it says, If by the one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace into the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So you see, that's what God wants, is for us to reign in life. He wants us to reign over our bodies, over our self, over sin, and over Satan. We're not supposed to be victims, people. There's no reason for us to be victims. Jesus has beaten the devil and given us the authority to command any demonic spirit 
to stop its work. He's given us authority to heal the sick. Now, God knows everything about me, yet he loves me. So how can I respond to him? Psalm 62, verse 8, says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. See, I can trust a God who will not condemn me, who will not, I want to be careful that I say this correctly, there is a judgment day coming. And we will answer for every word we spoke, every thought, every motive of our hearts. God knows it all, as I just said. There will come a time when we will answer for it. But the sin is under the blood of Jesus. The penalty of our sin has been paid. What we will face judgment for is whether we will lose or gain. In other words, those things that are not um, gold, silver, and precious stones are going to be burned up. So we will face judgment, but it will be in that sense. So we can trust him and then pour out our heart to him. In other words, I don't need to have any secrets from God. He knows it all anyway, so why should I even try? Okay? I can pour out my heart to God. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, the apostle John, having experienced all this himself, says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, I ought to love you the way God loves me. In fact, Jesus, in John 13, 34, and 35, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we love each other the way Jesus loves us, we are going to love each other, accept each other, and forgive each other. We will not condemn we will not criticize. When somebody opens up about a problem in their life, we're not going to... You know, that's, that's part of the blessing of knowing the, the depravity of your own heart. Because I know how corrupt I have been. I have no place to sit in judgment of you. I am in need of the mercy of God. And I, and I know you are as well. So I don't extend to you anything but the mercy, the forgiveness, the healing power of Jesus. That's what needs to come out of us. 
Not judgment, criticism, gossip, all that other garbage. And that makes it possible for us to be honest with each other. We can be who we really are. We can be authentic. And we can open up our hearts and be vulnerable. Again, because I know you're not going to hurt me by what I share with you. You're going to try to help me and bless me because you love me. See, in that environment, love can flourish. And so can, again, this authenticity and vulnerability. Those two things are absolutely essential to having healthy relationships. If we're continually hiding from each other, I think it was Charles Swindoll years ago wrote a book, it seems like it was called Dropping Your Guard. I remember the, the picture on the front of the book was like a theatrical mask. But so many of us were so careful to protect our image. I don't want you to think bad things about me. So I'm careful not to tell you anything that would make you think badly about me. You know, that, that, that's part of being that hypocritical person, the religious person, who doesn't want to be real. They just want to be culturally acceptable. We can't go anywhere in relationships if we're going to be that way. Um, I've just read you one of the verses, a couple of verses of scripture that talk about what we are to do with one another. Some years ago, I, I did a study on the one another scriptures. And I've got a page full of them here. But 15 of these tell us that we're to love one another. That's the most common one another scripture. The rest of them tell us how we're to love one another. Now most of these one another scriptures are commands. Jesus again said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. He didn't say, I'm going to suggest that you think about the possibility of maybe considering. No, he said, a new commandment I give you. Now, sometimes we look at commandments as something that's burdensome and a chore, and it's like, but you know, God gives commandments for a reason. When he sees us walking toward the edge of a cliff, he doesn't say, well, you know, you might not want to do that. He says, stop! If you want to ignore his commandment, run right off the edge of the cliff, I guess that's up to you. But commandments are given for our benefit, to be a blessing to us. 
They are not suggestions, and they are not optional. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're going to follow these scriptures. Now, some of the one another scriptures are not commandments. They are descriptions of how we, rel- how we will relate to each other as we follow Jesus. We read one example of that already in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it doesn't tell us to have fellowship. It just says you will have. It's just a natural product of, of following Jesus and fellowshipping with God. Another thing that I learned about those one of the scriptures is that they require that we know each other. At least to some extent. Because you can't even do some of those one another scriptures unless you do know each other. Take, for example, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So I'm supposed to consider how to encourage you, to stir you up, to spur you on to love and good works. Well, now, how am I going to do that if I don't even know your name? Never been at your house. You don't never been at mine. We've never had more than a two-minute conversation. Good morning. How are you? Fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, the superficiality of many of our relationships <sighs> grieves me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's fine to... You can't give everybody... 15-minute dissertation on how you're really doing. You know what I'm saying? But there's a time and a place to open up and share our hearts with each other. I don't know if you've thought about this, but how can I realistically consider how to stir you up to love and good deeds? I mean... Everybody in the room. Again, I don't even know some of your names. We have some guests this morning, I think. I don't think I've seen you folks before. Um, But it's an impossibility. Okay? There is a vast difference in the depth of relationship that we can have with different people. And I just saw this recently. Not everybody should have the same access to you. You know what I'm saying? My wife has complete, total access. Anytime, place, you, you know, it's like, unless I've got something going on at work that I just can't get away from, then I can tell her that, and she'll let me get her back to her. But she's got complete, total access. The rest of you don't. You know? You're on a somewhat lower priority. Um, <clears throat> what I'm saying is that the depth of knowledge of one another is going to have to be limited to a few. Now, Jesus didn't choose 120 to be with him. He chose 12. And these guys were together full time, every day, in and out. 
They didn't have jobs. They did have families. But they didn't have a lot of responsibilities that you and I do. So they had more time. So how many people can you realistically have these kinds of relationships with? Probably not more than a dozen. Well, maybe, maybe a little bit more, but not much. Now, I want to share with you in the remaining minutes three different pictures of who we are. First of all, in John 1, 12, Jesus said, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we are the children of God. That means God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. We are in his family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul instructs Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So there we have a picture of Paul, I'm sorry, Timothy, interacting with the people in his church of which he was a pastor, or the, the senior leader, Paul, Timothy was also called an apostle. Um, but in a family sort of way. So everybody here in this room, you're part of my family if you know Jesus. So you're my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, my daughter, my son. We're family. I don't know about you, but over the years, I've discovered that I have many relationships in the body of Christ, in the family of God, that are closer than the relationships I have with some of my family members. I mean, I have cousins I haven't even met. And of course, I have probably several thousand brothers and sisters in the body of Christ here in this town that I haven't met either. But here, we are to interact as family members. Now a second picture is that of a body. We are the body of Christ and members of one another. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we are the body of Christ, and we are members of one another. May I suggest that makes us responsible to each other? You see, it's interesting, in, in Romans 12 and um, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, where spiritual gifts are listed, every time the body of Christ is also mentioned. So in other words, the gifts make us a certain part of the body, give us a certain function within the body, 
And we are to use that gift to minister to one another. Now, I don't necessarily believe every person has just one gift. You may have multiple gifts. But whatever God has given you is not really for you. It's for me and everybody else in the body. And just like I need the parts of my physical body to function as they're supposed to, I need you to function as you're supposed to. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to skip most of that passage and go to verse 16. Uh, verse 15, actually. Um, but Paul writes here, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. In other words, Christ is the head of his body. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now that's a mouthful. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, content in there. So I'll try to break it down a little bit for us. First of all, notice that God wants the whole body to be joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. What are your joints in your body? Are they not the connecting point between different members of your body? For example, that joint enables my hand to function. These joints enable my fingers to function. The elbow enables my arm to function, etc. So the relationships that we have with each other the relationships that we have with each other enable us to function as a body. Um, okay, so we are to be joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part, every one of us has a share in the work of the body. And we are to be effective in doing that. And as that becomes true, and more and more true, the body will grow and edify itself in love. One of my concerns for this body, this small body, which is part of the body of Christ in Cheyenne, is that we be properly related to each other. That we know who we are and what we are. That we know what God has called us to be and to do. If you're a hand in the body, I need that hand to be doing what it is to do. If you're a foot, I probably need you to get me to where I need to go. If you're an eye, I need you to help me see what God sees. If you're an ear, I might need to have you help me hear what God is saying. Whatever your function is, we need every member of the body 
to be in proper relationship with each other and functioning effectively to get the work of God done. Now, if we are not in proper relationship with each other, I mean, sometimes I even get a vision of, not a vision, I don't mean, I, I get a picture of various body parts just kind of lying all over the place. You know? It's like there's something over here and something over there. and something. It's kind of like Ezekiel 37 where the dry bones are there and they're not connected. You know? And then God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the the bones, and then sinew comes, you know, flesh comes on the bones, and they, they come together, and they, the flesh comes on them, and then they stand up as a mighty army after he breathes life into them, okay, after, after he prophesies to the breath. We need to be in a proper relationship with each other so that we're not just a pile of body parts that can't function. Does that make sense? Okay. Last picture. We are an army. We're an army at war with the devil and his kingdom. When Jesus came to this earth, he declared war. Do you realize that? He came to destroy the works of the devil. Didn't put this in my notes, but I'm going to read you Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, people were being oppressed by the devil and were therefore sick, and Jesus came to set them free. That's what he says. In Luke chapter 4, and I will go ahead and read that to you as well. Verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who don't know Jesus, and even some of us who do, allow ourselves to be captives to the enemy. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. If you know Jesus today, you don't need to be in bondage. Jesus came to set you free. <clears throat> he is seeming to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, I can hardly wait for Jesus to come back. I've been studying the end times and what, what's going to happen when he comes back. 
And there's going to be one bloody war in which Jesus is going to conquer all of his enemies. He is going to set the oppressed free physically at that time. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, we are so passive so many times. We just put up with it. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. And whatever happens, you know, it's, it's kind of destined to happen. It's just meant to be. No. God has a plan. A good plan. If you're willing to accept a bunch of garbage from the enemy and live with that, that may be all you ever experience. But God wants you to be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're not supposed to be in bondage to the devil. First, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul, again speaking to Timothy, uses language speaking to Timothy as a soldier of Jesus Christ. So we see that there is a war going on, and we are to be winning in that war. There's no reason we shouldn't be. You know, it may look at times like the world is just going crazy and we are more and more victimized by the society in which we live. To a certain extent, there's some truth in that, but we are to live in Jesus as overcomers as victors in Christ. We do not need to put up with the devil's work in our lives, in our families. You know, whenever you're dealing with somebody else's will, somebody else's free will, we can't force anything on anybody. We don't, wouldn't want to. That's not God's way. But I'm telling you, there is a war on that we are to be taking to the devil and saying, we're going to take this land. We don't want you controlling me, my family, my church, my community. There's time. It's time for the body of Christ to rise up and be the army that God has called us to be. Now again, in an army... We don't want people going AWOL. Okay? In time of war, that's a capital offense. You can be shot for that. However, we don't shoot our wounded. In fact, we don't, as our military, we don't leave anyone behind. If someone gets injured in the fight, we pick them up, 
We take them to the infirmary. We get them healed. We get them ready to go into battle again. But the point is, you know, sometimes we picture the, the, the church as a hospital. And that's fine when you need a hospital. But how much of your life are you supposed to spend in the hospital? You know, if you need healing, by all means, get healing. But then get back in the fight. Because you're needed. If any one of you is not taking your place in the battle, then the enemy could gain advantage of us, and we may not take the ground that we're supposed to take. Is that making sense? Now, I've gone on about long enough, but I just want to close with a few questions. How are we going to respond to what we're hearing this morning? First of all, will we let God and his people love us? Remember, that requires honesty, authenticity, vulnerability. Will we commit to loving people as Jesus did? Will we refuse to judge, condemn, criticize, gossip about whatever else that the enemy would have us do? And instead love them and speak words of life and healing to them? Will we trust a few people enough to become authentic, honest, real, and vulnerable with them? Will we create space in our lives so we can develop loving relationships? <clears throat> it's confession time. I haven't done that very well. I have allowed myself to become too busy with work, the new house, um, whatever else. And I haven't devoted myself to developing relationships with you the way I should. We are praying, Bev and I, about how that used to change. Because it can't continue. We're even getting to the point of asking God to give Bev a part-time job so she can cut back and have more time available, which would bless both of us, because then I'd have more time because she could do some of the stuff I'm doing. But we need more time. But even if we don't get that blessing of a part-time job, we need to find a way to develop relationships with you. It requires a change in priorities. It requires that I re-examine what I really value. The last scripture this morning is Matthew 13, 45 and 46. 
Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He saw the kingdom of God as being so precious and so valuable he was going to give up everything for it. I didn't talk much about the kingdom this morning. But another way to see ourselves is that we are part of the kingdom of God. With Jesus as our king. Now if we value living in kingdom relationships... We will give all that we have to experience the life of God in those relationships. As I told you, I haven't been doing that very well myself, and we are going to change. We are repenting. I hope today, my, my goal is to help you see the value of relationships. You know, years ago, I was part of a, another group of elders in a very small church. We spent so much time together, those guys and myself, that there was literally nothing we couldn't talk about with each other. Everything was open. Personal finances, love life. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was all open. And of course we did it in a godly way, but. I miss that. To some extent, I do have that here with Jay and Randy and Art and John, but not to the extent that God wants. And there are many of you, as I said, I don't even know your name, let alone anything about you. And God helping me, that's going to change. So. My prayer this morning is that you see what God wants to offer you in relationships with people who will really love you, honor you, build you up, bless you, strengthen you, encourage you, hold your feet to the fire when they need to be held. In other words, Proverbs 27, 5, and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. I'd rather have you confront me and tell me, Arnie, God has something better for you than this than to let me keep walking down a path that's going to lead to destruction. So, I'm hoping that what I've said this morning makes sense to you. Um, next week, I hope to share about small groups. Honestly, I was going to spend two weeks on small groups, and I realized, you know what? It's not about, okay, all of you people over here, you're one group, and you're the leader. And let's see, these, these people right here, you're all one group and you're the leader. It's not about that. 
It's not about restructuring the church so that we have X number of small groups and X number of small group leaders and people who are in all those groups. It's about experiencing the life of God together in relationship within those groups. Small groups are only a tool. They are a tool. If you will, they're the wineskin that's to hold the wine. But without the wine, what point is the wineskin? So, that is why I spoke this morning about relationships. Next week, I want to speak about small groups and share some things about how small groups can help you develop the kinds of relationships we're talking about this morning. Okay. The teacher only wants to ask if anybody has questions. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I trust that God has used this in your life to some extent. And uh, we'll have our ministry team up here this morning. If you have needs this morning for physical healing, emotional healing, if you need to hear an encouraging word from the Lord about what God wants to do in your life, the prophetic team will be here. We want to minister to you. We want you to be the whole, healthy people that God wants you to be. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts. Have your way. Father, if there are those here this morning who don't even know you, I ask God that you would bring them to yourself today. If there are some here who... <clears throat> need to make adjustments based on what they've heard this morning. God, I pray that you would show us how good your plan for our lives is and how much you desire to bless us. You want us to walk in your joy. You want us to walk in the health and freedom and victory. But we need each other. So God, help us to make the decisions that need to be made this morning, to make the changes that need to be made, that we could be the church you want us to be. Anybody here doesn't know the Lord? Okay. Nobody's standing up waving their hands at me, which I wouldn't expect you to do. But if you don't, would you come talk to me? And um, anything else that you, any of you want to talk to me about, I'm open. <laughs>